Welcome to Great Quarter Guys. I'm Seth Holm. I'm your host. I'm a research analyst here at Freight Waves in the Freight Intel Group. We are the proprietary research desk here at Freight Waves. We do long-form research on everything transportation and logistics. Sitting with me today, I've got Kevin Hill. He's director of research and the head of our group. How are you doing today, Kevin? I'm doing great, and it's great to be here. So uh, we're going to give a quick overview of our background. So this podcast is going to be finance-centric. It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, you know, uh, It's going to be about you know what's going on uh, in all of surface transportation. We're going to do trucking. We're going to do freight brokerage. We're going to do rail and intermodal. We're not experts on air or maritime, but we can probably find some people to come in here uh, who, who know a lot more about that. So my background is I spent 10 years at a hedge fund doing uh, – analyzing and, and trading consumer and technology stocks. Kevin, uh, we're always on FreightWaves now. We're, you can find us all over FreightWaves Media, but why don't you give a quick introduction of your background? Yeah, my name's Kevin Hill, and I run the, the Freight Intel Group here at FreightWaves, and I was uh, a freight broker for a few years and started my own company called Carrierless, where I did research on trucking companies, really the small and medium-sized fleets that or are very opaque and no one really knows too much about, and we sell that to, to the brokers. So that's a little bit about my background. Cool. So why don't we just get right into it? Um, our first segment here, where do you think we are in the trucking cycle right now? I think we are about six months away for from a, a more normal market right now. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're right in the teeth of, of the bottom. Right. So so we've been in the bottom for quite a while and we'll probably be in the bottom for at least the next three to six months. But by Q2 of next year, I think it'll be on the uptrend. I don't think there's any V recovery coming. I think right. it's going to be U-shaped. Yep. I think there's a lot of overcapacity in the market. Yep. Uh, load volumes are, are doing really good right now, especially comparables year over year this time in 2018, or at least uh, about this, about even right now. Right. Uh, I think we're, what, 1% or 2% yeah, above about right, 1%, right yeah. now. We're, if, a few weeks ago, we were 7% above, so still still going steady. Um, but yeah, overcapacity, once we get over through the overcapacity, sluggishness of rates and, and that good stuff, we will uh, we'll be more in a recovery. Yeah, so you think it's just sort of a slow, easy-as-she-goes recovery. Like, we had a booming market in 18, uh, pretty much a freight recession in the first half of the year. We kind of bottomed out on all the indexes we look at uh, early in the spring. And now, what about, I mean, what about Q4? Retail, we've got the consumer. I mean, the consumer, one thing that the media talks about is, um, you know, basically we've got a manufacturing and industrial recession. Two-thirds of the economy is consumer spending consumer is holding this thing up. Do you see any cracks in the consumer or do you think Q4 will be really good? I think Q4 is going to be flat on the trucking side at least because we haven't really seen any movement to to tell us otherwise, right? It's been kind of flat to 2018. Uh, we, we have, you know, it's, just, it's just flat right now for 2018. There are some warning signs out mm-hmm. there on the consumer, especially yep. consumer debt credit card debt. Yep. Uh, the growth in that has uh, decelerated. Yep. I don't know. Has it turned negative yet? Or? Yeah, it was actually negative. I mean, it, it could be a little bit volatile, but yeah, um, it, it turned negative. I think it was August uh, for the first time in a while. So if you think about it, you know, consumers really have 
three forms of spending. They've got they've got their income, they've got their savings, and this is America uh, credit card debt, right? So when so that what, starts to turn down, that can be a warning sign. So, so in your opinion, what's the most important of those three? Well, uh, it depends on where you are in the cycle. If you looked at last cycle, uh, you know, debt ratios were in an all-time high, the housing bubble. So consumers were very, very leveraged. They're a lot healthier this time around in terms of that kind of thing. And then a lot of the, the standard credit ratios and metrics are a lot cleaner. The lending has been a lot better mm-hmm. this time around. So I don't, in other words, uh, you often hear, I don't think we're going to have a big deep balance sheet recession as it gets yeah. referred to in in the media. I think it, it's more likely to be a short and sort of quick, uh, quick one. But, but on spending, you're a hedge fund guy. Yeah. You looked at this, you looked at consumers, you looked yeah. at tech, especially on the consumer side, right? Yeah. Consumer goods. Yeah. Uh, of those three buckets, yep. income, savings, debt, yeah, or let's say unsecured debt, yeah. What are the what's your favorite metric of those three to to look at? Where where do you where does your eye always gravitate to to give you signals of an up market or a down market or a sideways market? Well, uh, the the American consumer is very difficult to break. I mean, JP Hampstead and I, who's going to be our guest here in a minute. We looked all the way back, literally like 80 years. I mean, to get consumer spending in the U.S. to go, there's got to be severe problems. So I don't know that I have a favorite. I watch consumer spending overall, and then I focus a lot on e-commerce, which was always growing nicely. It still is, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's still only like 10% of overall retail. There wasn't really so much problems in the macro area. And I, I, I look for red flags. Basically, right when they start to pile up, I get concerned. Right so, now, so, so right now, what I'm saying is, flag? I'm also a, uh, I'm a second derivative investor, mm-hmm. right? So, it, for stocks, what matters is are things getting better? Are they getting worse? Right now, what I see is a lot of deceleration in almost every metric. Now, the manufacturing and industrial stuff aside, that that's actually recessionary. What I'm seeing on the consumer spending side is more so like deceleration against tough comparisons. So. It, if it was like early in the 2019 in the trucking market when everyone was saying, you remember what they were saying? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. These are just tough comparisons. The volumes, you know, there's nothing, there's no problems here to see. So I'm not, I'm not saying that I think we're going to go negative because I don't. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, you, you look at some of the subcomponents. You've got housing, which is really healthy. You've got low interest rates. Uh, housing's doing well. Uh, you don't have extended uh, consumer balance sheets. Uh, the savings rate is uh, where above where it used to be. But, um, overall, I mean, I, I would just say, uh, you know, I'm constructive on the consumer here. I'm not doom and gloom at all. I think they'll continue to be sort of what you said, maybe yeah. a slow grind, uh, two to so, 3% growth. So, so when you look at trucking stocks, yeah, where are we at in the cycle? I, I, I kind of give my opinion where we are on the cycle on, right. on the raw data, the load volumes, capacity, kind of the, yep. on the ground. Yep. KPIs, right? Yep. Uh, when you look at the trucking stocks, where do you think we're on the cycle of that? I think we're early cycle. So, and that's the bet that the market's making right now. Um, and we're going to get into this in a minute in, uh, in our earnings segment. But um, a lot of the companies are reporting pretty downright, I've almost terrible numbers. Um, you've got a lot of negative pre-announcements, uh, earnings, top and bottom line misses and negative guidance. And these stocks, uh, I looked here, uh, our truckload, we constructed our own proprietary truckload, market cap weighted. Yeah, the Freight Waves Truckload Index, right? Correct, yeah. And so I just looked over the last, this was through a couple days ago, and it was up, you know, uh, Night Swift kicked off the earnings season with a negative pre-announcement, and that it's up double digits. And a lot of these, some of these stocks are literally up 
the higher beta names are up 20 or 30 percent. So I think maybe uh, we'll get into that. I think maybe a little too far too fast, but I think we're early in the truckload cycle. 2020, people are betting it's a bottom. So, um, but why don't we bring in our uh, guest today, JP Hampstead? JP, come on in. What's going on, fellas? How you doing? Good. Uh, today's a today's an exciting day. Yeah. So uh, let's let's expand on that. So JP, everybody knows him. He he's been on editorial. He's kind of making a transition to research. He's been looking closely at some of the broker earnings. And you think you've got some unique insights into what's going on? What are you seeing out there? Um. Well, obviously, uh, you know, Tuesday afternoon, C H Robinson released earnings after market close. Um. And it was a pretty big miss, honestly. It would have been even worse had it not been for some uh, some favorable uh, taxation decisions that went their way, and a real estate transaction. They they sold their sort they sold their old Chicago office for a couple million bucks. If it wouldn't have been for that, EPS would have come in at about a buck a share, you know. Um, and I think the street consensus was a dollar fourteen. Right. So that's a it's a fairly sizable miss. Fairly yeah, successful yeah. miss, and I think that the you know the stock is selling off. I think what thirteen or fourteen percent this yeah. morning. Um, the bigger issue wasn't that the truckload cycle is unfavorable to them. I think everyone kind of knew that. The, the 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 issue was that it was really an operating failure. They had a strategy of bidding very aggressively on contracted freight in an effort to grow volumes and continue to take market share, which they repeat like a mantra is one of their core kind of commitments. But, and so, so they uh, cut their prices to customers by 12 and a half percent, but their truckload volumes still fell down like 4%. And so the, the, the volume growth didn't materialize and it was on, you know, lower price. So it really, you know, People were saying, kind of like, you know, even despite the the, the effect that that has on income from operations and net earnings, it's like the strategy itself failed. Now, that's I, I I find it very interesting. You told me this earlier this morning, right? I find this very interesting that they were rebidding their contracted rates that aggressively. You know, double digits, twelve point five percent, and you're talking about the the largest freight broker out there. So that tells me that everyone. Uh, all, all the smaller players out there, the, the private companies, the ones that are even doing $100, $200 million a year in gross margin are going to be just as, a, they're, they are just as aggressive right now as C.H. Robinson uh, because they're all competing against C.H. Robinson as well. So Correct. In, in, one of mar- in a market like this, it's a race to the bottom in pricing. And I was, I was very surprised at how aggressive they were in their pricing. Right. That, that was actually my exact question. So whenever you see a stock in the publicly traded markets down a lot, what I, when, when you cover a space, you say, okay, so what are the read-throughs to the other companies in the space? What's the pin action, as Jim Cramer likes to call it? So what, is, what are the read-throughs to all the other brokers out there? I think you, um, when we talk, you know, so uh, at Freight Waves, and especially on the editorial, we talk to a lot of the younger brokerages that are still in sort of aggressive growth mode. And, you know, I, I, I mean, candidly, like, 
we've talked to people who said that it's been really hard to hit their revenue targets, that they're growing volumes, but the revenue's not there, or that they've had to um, scale back a little bit on growth just because it's costing them too much money and it's not high quality revenue. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. you really have to, like, if someone says, okay, this is a record revenue year for us, you really have to think about how much that costs them. So, yeah, especially in margin. So where do so where do we go from here, JP? Um, you know, it, these guys are spending aggressively on technology um, right now. The the payoff is looking a little uncertain. But you know, how do you think things evolve? We've got the digital freight matching guys moving in. Do you think they're already started to impact guys like CH? Um, I do to the extent that now Wall Street analysts are saying, okay, you need to cut costs, like like. Nat, they talk about NAST. NAST is North American Surface Transportation. It's C.H. Robinson's uh, brokerage um, division. It inc- also includes intermodal, but it's it's really truckload LTL. A little right. bit of and that's different from managed transportation, right? It's different from managed services, yep. different from international freight forwarding, different from Robinson Fresh, which is obviously a smaller and smaller part of the business. But um, they're kind of saying, like, in, in management, confirmed this that they expect nast headcount to trend lower and lower for all of next year so in theory we should see some kind of in in beasterfeld used the the ceo beasterfeld used this phrase as well you know the decoupling of um volume growth with uh employee expense which is ultimately headcount right Okay, now CH, uh, they don't explicitly guide, do they, on any other line item except for CapEx, but what was kind of the forward outlook that they, that they offered up on the market? They, they really said that they thought um, trucking capacity would be in excess of available, available demand, available freight um, for the next few quarters. Mm-hmm. They said that their routing guides would con- – continue to reset downward meaning um you know further downward pressure on on the prices that they're charging to, to shippers and um you know I don't, I don't remember exactly if they said anything about spot rates which are you know kind of notor- notoriously hard to to uh forecast, uh, forecast yeah, and, sure. and are out of their control right you, mm-hmm. you don't want to really guide for something you can't you can't control but um you know that that's that's really I think the kind of the question is what what their costs are going to be. Yeah, I kind of forecast Q two twenty twenty for the market to, to come into more of a maybe an equilibrium balance, uh, and and they're saying the next few quarters are they looking at maybe the the back half of twenty twenty as as a recovery? I think so. I think they're being really cautious. I think you know probably they're cognizant of. The hit their stock is taking from this, you know, downside surprise, and you know, if I were if I was their investor relations, I would be trying to set myself up for a positive surprise at some point. So right. I expect yeah. them to continue guiding down until they can they can beat and raise, which hopefully is in the middle of next year. But yeah, you know, it doesn't we'll, sound we'll like see. it's maybe in the next quarter. It sounds like they're kind of uh, you know giving color that, that they expect this to be sustained uh, pressure. Definitely, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, JP. We're going to, um, we have a little segment called long short segment here and it's sort of like big deal or little deal. Uh, since you're our first guest, okay. I'm going to, I had, I lined up the first
first question for you. So long and short. Okay, how does it work? So basically, are you long the idea or are you short the idea? Is it high? Is, are you a believer or do you think it's overhyped? So my question for JP, he closely follows the rails around here. Are you long or short the idea of railroad operating ratios uh, going in? Let's say over the next three to five years, going into the low fifties range, and why? I am long that because I think that I'm so I'm long um, lower operating ratios. And I'll tell you why. It's because right now they've managed to perform really impressively on, um, you know, kind of cratering intermodal volumes, um, lowering prices, you know, an industrial recession. I think that when they do get another big surge of freight, I think the incremental margins on that are going to be fantastic and they will make more money than ever. Right. And so uh, ORs for the rail, the class one rails were sort of, I guess, what what was it in the mid to high 60s a few years ago? They're kind of, for the most part, in the high 50s. That would give them another few years and, of strong and, runway. And, and to put it into context, you know, 20 years ago, they were in the 90s. Wow. So it's they've come wow. a long way. Wow, so that's that's that was a trucking uh, OR back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, JP. Sure. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. You bet. Cool. All right, we're gonna move on. So, Kevin, I thought we would talk about. You know, we spend a lot of time going back and forth. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sort of very high profile, very uh, you know companies that are being funded by Silicon Valley and otherwise venture capital backed companies. You've got Uber Freight, you've got Convoy, you've got uh, all these all these other companies. Then you've got the big guys, the top five publicly traded brokers kind of trying to defend their turf and their market share. They're starting to spend like crazy. I think J.B. Hunt has spent, uh, you know, five hundred million dollars, uh, similar amounts for uh, for XPO and, and C.H. Robinson. They've doubled their CapEx uh, outlook. Um, Let's let's just get into a general discussion on where do you think the freight broker brokerage industry and and the margins are headed over the next few years with with all this these new entrants in mind. I I I, I think margins are coming down. I, I think in a, a good analogy and and maybe a couple of years ago I didn't think it was a good analogy. I'm thinking it is a great analogy. If you look at all the online. Uh, trading platforms for stocks. Right. You know, you have Robinhood. Yep. It's free. Yeah. And it is putting a, a huge piece of pressure on all the E-Trades, Scott Trades. Yep. Uh, every electronic platform that was, you know, before that was putting huge uh, pressures on human beings charging a lot of commission, maybe $100 or more a trade. Yep. Yep. It came down to six nine or $7.99, 6 dollars Yep. And now they're all going Free. A race to zero. A race and, to and zero. They all got called in a prisoner's dilemma the other mm-hmm. day. Who uh, was it? Was it TD Ameritrade that first kicked it off? I don't remember who it was, but um, it all the others sort of fell and had to follow suit, and all their stocks fell anywhere from you know twenty five, thirty five percent in a matter of days. So I don't think we're looking. The the interesting thing about trading business um, on the retail sort of stockbroker side is those are very incremental, high margin transactions. You know, the, the margins for the overall broker space tend to be about 15%, right, when we look at it. So there's, you know, there's a lot of stuff to lose. And we think, uh, you you would obviously think it's going to be more incremental, right? We're not just going straight to zero. You think, like, what, if we're at 15% today, what does that path look like? And where do we ultimately arrive at over the next few years in terms of, 
uh, an overall margin for the industry. Yeah, you know, we're looking at averages uh, from the TIA of 15.7%. Yeah. So over the next 10 years, I think we have it forecasted in yeah. our paper that, that we published, uh, what our digital freight brokers were. Yep. We did uh, deep dive into this. Yeah. We, did, we did, yeah, which is available on Sonar. Yep. Uh, so, so basically on that, we, we went from 15.7% over the next decade to 2028 of maybe 10% high single digits. Yeah, low I think it was like 11%. Digits. Now, let me, let me step in here. Um, there, there's a couple things going on there. So what we did is we said, okay, so if we basically outlined the bull case on digital freight matching companies and we said, okay, if these guys take as much market share as, you know, the, Highest of expectations. They take 50% of the market. Right now, they're at about 5% of the market on, on, on a gross revenue basis. That net revenues are still quite small. Uh, you know, there's two things going on there with the margins, right? There's the fact that the digital freight brokers themselves are likely to have a lower margin um, than the traditional sort of legacy brokerages. I don't mean that in an insulting way, but, you know, mm-hmm. just the, the, the old dominant players that are still there and dominating. But, um, there's that, the fact that we think that they may have only an 8% margin on the digital freight brokerage side rather than reaching that 15 or 16 level. But then there's also, there's a lot of negative effect from that mix shift, right? So when, if, if they go from 5% of the market to 25 or 50 or whatever the number is, there's, there's a lot of growth expectations there, right? There's going to be that effect on margins. So I think we have them coming down to like 11%, but we've got the traditional brokers maybe coming down 25 basis points a year over a 10-year time frame, sort of to that 13% range. Yeah, you're seeing that in technology spend of the, the public brokers and, and brokers across the board because mm-hmm. we're always talking to freight brokerages and everyone is amping up their, their technology spend. Uh, and VC money is pouring into tools for freight brokerages to, to match, uh, to do private freight matching yeah. as well. So what you have is... You have those two things going together. So th- this technology, whenever there's new technology, that means that there's probably going to be more loads booked per broker. Yeah. Right. Yep. So you're bringing productivity in with productivity, right? Yep. You're bringing in this, these efficiencies in any market where you bring in efficiencies, margins go down. Yep. Yep. That makes sense to me. Okay. So uh, on, last thing on this topic, let's talk about we've had this WeWork debacle, right? Um, that basically. Would you call it debacle? I, I, that might be kind. Um, <laughs> you've had a company whose valuation uh, on the roadshow uh, is it more a dumpster fire? Sitting more, I think it was what was it? Is it a 50, dumpster 50 fire? Billion? Yeah, and uh, they've got a high-profile CEO, uh, you know, who is who has taken a lot of money out of the company while it kind of burns here. And um, so the question is, does this have any? You know, what we've seen recently um, in the press is that. Uh, you know, these whole, these, I, I would call them, uh, GAC is my acronym growth at all costs. Right. Yes. Um, the, you're seeing this pulled back in VC land. It's, uh, people now want positive unit economics. You don't just sell a dollar for 85 cents. Do you think this is going to have any impact, uh, whether it be on the margin front or how much market share these digital guys can ultimately take over the next few years? Do you think that Maybe the, they won't be as aggressive as that we as we initially thought. It's going to have a huge impact, right? We've seen it from all the IPOs that that actually did make it to IPO, mm-hmm. uh, and WeWork is is maybe the um, the the uh, the the case study 
of or or the overreach of right. VCs uh, selling excess. Exactly right. right. Bubbles. So, bubbles, right? You had uh, you know you had Uber and Peloton, Lyft, uh, and a couple other software as a services yep. co- companies that came to market unprofitable, mm-hmm. still in hyper growth or, or bliss scaling mode. Yep. And I don't think public investors want that anymore. I think that the, the window to IPOing yep. for companies that are following that or still following that model yep. is, is closed, right? Yep. So you have to find profitability yep. or another exit strategy. Right. Or the VCs have to find another exit strategy to uh to 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 to, to exit, you know, the, their 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 positions in these companies. So Growth at all costs or GAC is, I, I think it's, it's, it's dead right now. Yeah, I, I think it's I, dead. I, I tend to agree. You know, I, I used to look at and invest in a lot of these companies. It was okay if they were unprofitable, but I, I have a couple of thoughts there, right? So one thing that I never like when I'm looking at these companies, I don't like companies that lose as much or more money than they have in revenue. That's a problem. <laughs> and then when you need, when you're burning so much cash, that you're captive to the capital markets, whether it's debt or equity raises, you know, you're at the mercy of the market. So typically, I mean, if you've got sort of super normal growth that you think a company can sustain, I'm okay with that as long as the cash burn is not excessive and they sort of have that path to profitability where, so maybe, maybe you've got negative EBITDA margins right now because you're going on a huge hiring spree, but you know, quarter, uh, each quarter or year that passes, maybe those losses get less. Now, some of these companies were kind of the opposite, right? Exactly. Uh, they're losing increasingly more money as they get bigger. So not scaling, right? They're really not scaling. There is almost this, this fascination with worldwide domination. Yeah. So you're just burning money going into these different markets uh, without really a, a clear strategy of how to ever become profitable. Right. Uh, so I think that's that's over with. Yeah, I, I think that trend or, or, or fad of of eternal growth, mm-hmm. internal hyper growth, right, it is done. And a lot of companies who were planning to IPO need to reposition and think uh, about where and how to become profitable. Yep, because that's what public investors care about. Yeah, they care about profitable companies that aren't burning their way through their cash reserves at yeah. ever increasing um, paces and, and trying to raise debt yeah. and more equity yeah. to bail out the original VC investors. Exactly. I mean, I think if you're, if your path, if your plan was to just come to the market with endless secondaries at, at a high valuation, I think that is sort of past. It is done. We work was the, uh, the excess case in, in that scenario. Yep. And, it was it's the inflection point when the market, especially the public market, said no more. Yep, no more. I agree. So that'll be interesting to watch. You know, kind of how that plays out in the in the digital in the broker, brokerage market. It overall. will. So there's really aggressive growth at all costs uh, strategies that um, some of the digital freight brokers have. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to have to be tempered. Yeah. Uh, quite a bit because yeah. they're going to have to become profitable or have uh, a case to become profitable before they can exit. Right. And strategic exits in freight and logistics aren't that simple. There's there's not too many natural strategic buyers out there. Right. So really the only exit is IPO. Yep. 
So okay. Um, so uh, you know, as I talked about, you know, you and I kind of, and, and along with Andrew Cox, who's on our team, um, we we head up the Freight Intel Group here. Why don't we get into just spend a couple minutes here talking about some of our work, both past and present. Um, you know, we do a lot of survey-based work. You're you're the survey man, experts. And uh, so why don't you talk about, you know, what whatever it might be, uh, digital freight brokerage apps, your M&A stuff, your carrier sentiment. Why don't you talk about a little bit about kind of the unique data and insights that we get with all this survey work? Yeah, so we, we can touch the, the market pulse of the, uh, the the industry, whether that's freight waves readers or databases of carriers or or what have you. Our latest one that I'm wrapping up right now is the carrier sentiment survey for Q4, something we do on a quarterly basis. Yep. Uh, throughout 2019, sentiment was plunging. Right. Uh, I think uh, last quarter it may have bottomed. About mm-hmm. thirty, only about thirty percent were positive about load volumes or or rates. Right. And that's, uh, that's pretty low. What what number right. would you expect in a good to decent market? There? I, I you know well, Q three of twenty eighteen it was around seventy five percent. Wow. Right. So, big so that drop was there. a big drop. You know, and that was a, a great market at Q three, and that's when actually the the the, the freight markets started sliding. Yeah, it is Q3. It's, it's just like the stock market. You have the exactly. most bulls right at the top. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So right right now in Q4, we're um, for, for both volumes and line haul rates, we're between 40 and 50 percent. So it's recovered nicely. I think uh, I think carriers, especially the small, small to mid-sized carriers that we survey are feeling a, a bit better. And, you know, I mean, spot rates are down near a natural uh, natural floor yeah operating dollar, cost dollar 40 a mile yeah so the national debt van dry van index long or, haul yeah long haul was it ranged between a dollar 40 or a dollar 39 dollar 45 yep in q3 that's that's basically operating cost per mile yep so it can't really go down any further. It can only go we all, up from we all here. know it can. It just well, it can't, can't stay there. It can't, it can't stay, stay there, there for very too long, or people start going out of business. Exactly right. Yeah. So we're, you know, so so it's been much more uh, positive this quarter, which is good. That's great. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. Let's 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 get into some. We, you know, we brought JP on. We talked a lot about brokerage earnings, but we are in the heat of Q3 earnings season for transportation companies. We've had. You know, too many companies to report. I kind of took some notes here. Uh, maybe we could just hit on some high-level themes. Um, you know, I saw uh, Ahmed at Deutsche Bank. He, this, this for me has been the overall theme of this, this third quarter transportation earnings season. Um, so bad, it's good, right? We've seen a lot of these companies. I mean, on the truckload side, uh, we've been we've seen negative pre-announcements, uh, misses, guide downs, all this stuff, and then. We've got all these stocks up double digits. Um, you know, on the rail side, it's kind of a little bit of a different story. As opposed to the trucking market that seems to be in the early stages of a recovery, it seems like the rails are still falling. Like, uh, I think we looked at the UBS week 42 rail volumes were down over 8%. Like, they're getting worse um, in the rail, you know, mm-hmm. especially on the intermodal side. They're also getting a little bit worse. They kind of compete with trucking. Although J.B. Hunt's had some nice things to say about intermodal. But, um you know, what has been your overall takeaway so far from this earnings season, what, you know, by any mode uh, of transport, surface transportation here? Yeah, I think on the trucks, truckload side, uh, the intermodal side, it's a, basically a weakening uh, and in competition with trucking. On the trucking side, we're at the bottom of that cycle, I think. And you're yeah. writing a paper right now on 
the cycle between truckload and and brokerage and how yeah how the margins and profitabilities are, are a little bit yeah they're, they're staggered different. I, they're yeah, different. yeah i mean the way i would describe that is so listen i've been looking at these companies for six months but one sort of thing that's become apparent to me is uh, truckload stocks, the asset heavy stocks, right? You typically probably want to own those early to mid cycle, right? You don't want to own those late cycle when they're starting to deleverage on all those fixed expenses. It's right? all leverage, right? Right. So, and so, the brokers, yep. on the other hand, they're more mid to late cycle stocks because early on in the recovery, they get squeezed on their margins because, you know, you've got weak, like that's exactly what we're seeing right now. And these companies are talking about, you've got weak volumes you've got spot rates down 15 percent year over year but they've bottomed and they're kind of coming up and meanwhile these contract rates that are the majority of their business are getting negotiated aggressively lower so they're you know weak gross revenue with squeezed margins is not a a great recipe for uh you know a, a great environment for brokerage stock and the ch robinson data that on, on the earnings call that jp highlighted you know aggressively coming down 12 pipe 12 Twelve point five percent on their pricing yeah. with spot rates that can only really move up. Yeah, you're you're getting squeezed. Yeah, and I think the the Deutsche Bank analyst. I want to say I don't want to get this wrong, but I want to say he said that was the worst quarter on the on the gross revenue metric side in something like five years. Does that sound right? I I, I would not be surprised whatsoever. Yeah, I mean this is the, the the biggest down market that you know I've seen in years. Yeah, so. Yeah. So the other uh, the other big theme that's standing out to me, uh, a lot of people in the stock market call these self-help stories, right? Companies that kind of control their own destiny. So this is my second big theme that I've noticed. So you've got on the rail side, you've we talked about this with JP, you've got they're 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 really nicely managing their expenses. They're bringing this precision ske- scheduled railroading PSR. Mm-hmm. They're bringing their operating uh, cost down. And so a lot of these guys are, uh, I think Union Pacific, these guys are reporting volumes down mid or high single digits, but they're growing earnings sometimes by close to double digits. That's just unbelievable. Uh, you don't see that a lot, especially in cyclicals. Um, and so what that kind of leaves you wondering, and I think JP touched on this, you, they've got these really high incremental margins to a recovery. So you can imagine if they're growing earnings almost double digits in really bad times, uh, you know, what would they be growing them at in good times? And so maybe that's why they get afforded a premium in the market. What are your what are your thoughts there? I, I would have to agree with you on that, uh, because basically that they've constricted supply down so much that with any upturn, they can leverage that into higher rates. Yep. Now, where that maybe goes off the rails a little bit is if they can't meet that supply mm-hmm. kind of you know how do they scale up how do they get everything back online yeah what does that do to the cost structure right are they efficient we know that they're very efficient about taking supply out of the market how efficient are they bring it back in right which seems like they should be but uh things can go haywire pretty pretty quickly yeah and so i think the uh a lot of the rail uh, class one railroads they get i want to say it's about 45% of their car loads from intermodal, but it's more like 25% of revenue. Do you think we need a recovery in the trucking market first to continue for it kind of to spill over into a good environment for the for the rails overall? Yeah, I think you need a recovery in trucking to to make the, the rails uh, uh, more of a 
attractive option right. again, yep. right? Because it takes a little bit longer. And traditionally, there's been a nice, on the intermodal side, what is it, a 10 or 15% discount? And it takes a couple more days, and you don't get the same service that you do mm-hmm. with the truck. So if trucking, if there's all this excess capacity in the trucking market right now, and you're saying, hey, I can get a truck for the same rate and get it there a few days quick, more, you know, more quickly, it kind of seems like a no brainer, right? It does. Right. And, and we all know that the, the, the rails are, are somewhat, or they're, they're monopolies or duopolies, right. uh, especially in their region, they're a monopoly. And, and it's always difficult to negotiate with a monopoly. Absolutely. So it's, it's easier to go to the trucking market. You get more timely service. And if you're paying about the same rate, why not? Mm-hmm. But you know, if there's a cost differential, they're in the future of trucking recovers, then then it becomes attractive again. And you'll see, you, you, you'll probably see load volumes on, on the rails. Bottom out. out yeah. Bottom start, out. And start, start come back up. Back. Yeah. Yep. No, I would agree with that. Okay. So the last two things, and uh, I want to get your thoughts here, um, that kind of stood out to me. So XPO, XPO lowered their revenue guidance. They, they're another example of this. They lowered their revenue guidance from, I think it was negative one to positive one range to negative four to uh, negative two to negative four. But they still grew their EBITDA by like ten percent uh, uh, year over year, so that they're looking pretty good there too. Like I always talk with you and JP, I look for compounder stocks in trucking. So this is going to be a little segment on. There's not a lot of compounders. These are companies that can secularly grow their their revenue and their earnings over very long time frames. But XPO and and Old Dominion kind of seem like two examples of that. So on XPO, they seem to be good, doing a good job controlling those costs. Uh, while investing at the same time, uh, they've got a lot of exposure to Europe, which is which is a little unfortunate. That's tough right now with Brexit and uh, all that economic weakness over there. And then the other thing with uh, Old Dominion, what I've learned is Old Dominion is kind of like the gold standard blue chip for this entire industry, at least on the trucking side. I know it's it's LTL, but they reported their first year over year fall uh, in quarterly revenue for the first time in over three years. And these guys are just known for executing the lights out. So, um, you know, when things, when, when ODFL is missing, you know, things are really bad. So what springs to my mind is, does that mean that we're at a bottom because things have finally gotten bad for even the worst, you know, the best of players, excuse me, or does that mean that, you know, maybe this could go on for some time? What do you think? I think, of course, it could be either. But what I want to ask you about that is, especially with the Old Dominion, do you think that's a, a red flag for the consumer? Right, because LTL has a ton of consumer exposure. It yes. Could, it could be. Yeah, it, it could be. Um, what's interesting to me when I look at ODFL is I think it's trading in sort of its, the, if you look at a valuation range over the last few years, it's up towards the, the middle or the high end of the range. What's more appealing to me about these, uh, the, a lot of the asset-heavy truckload guys, is they're kind of trading in the bottom quartile of their valuation range. And so, uh, I would be, if I were investing, this is we're not picking stocks here, but I would be more inclined to bet on those truckload carriers because you got you got that room for that valuation to expand again. And ODFL is getting a lot. It looks like it's getting a lot of credit in the market right now, even though things are turning bad. So I just don't know if I'd be comfortable making that bet. It could be a red flag to the consumer. I don't know it that well to say, hey, you know, ODFL missed so the consumer's going into recession. I don't have anything that great for you, but it could be. And, and one of the things that we always talk about uh, out on the floor, right, yep. um, mm-hmm. as, as we're talking, is at the bottom of the market in any cyclical, 
whether it be trucking, oil, any any commodities out there right. is what do you look for? And trucking stocks, well, you know, is is it's always interesting to to watch the ones with the highest exposure to the spot market. Yep. And the most leverage. Yep. Right? Because both, of the, the, both operational and balance sheet leverage. Exactly right. So, yeah. Because at the bottom of the market, that uh, both of those, especially the, the leverage, yep. uh, the, those always shoot up more quickly than than their under-leveraged counterparts. Yep. And they're the most dangerous stocks at the top of the market yep. because that leverage works in the opposite way. Yep. They, they drop like a rock. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, one thing I've noticed is, so Ray Dalio, who uh, is the CEO and founder of Bridgewater, it's the biggest hedge fund in the world, he basically looks at basically growth and, and inflation drive all asset returns. There's four quadrants, right? And so in the upper quadrant, you have positive and accelerating economic growth. And then you've got the same thing on the other side of the axis for inflation, either accelerating inflation or deflation. To me, it sort of seems like when economic growth has bottomed and on a second derivative basis, it's about to improve. That's when you want to own those trucking stocks. When things are So you want to buy them when things are really bad, but they're not going to get worse, right? So uh, mm-hmm. you, you, in, in, in simple numbers, I think, you know, Knight Swift, I think, guided for Q4 earnings to be down 30%, but their Q1 of 2020 earnings to only be down 20%. To me, that looks like, just from observation, that's kind of the perfect setup for these stocks. You want to buy them when things are ugly, but they're getting a little bit better. They're still bad, but they're getting a little bit better. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so we've gone on here a little bit. Let's just, uh, two more things. Um, so let's do our, uh, let's get into our weekly uh, DHL supply chain pricing power index let's hit on some of the high notes so i think last week we do this every week on freightwaves.com it'll be posted on thursday afternoons we do a little video there uh it's been at so just the background there is uh it goes from zero to 100 zero is all the way in favor of the shippers 100 is all the way in favor of the carriers and 50 is a balanced market it's sitting at 25 it was sitting at 25 last week uh just a month or two ago when volumes were running hot, we had that thing all the way up to 45. We almost had a balanced market, right? It's kind of slipped back over the few last, last few weeks. It's really, we've seen a lot of deterioration in economic data and some of this other stuff. But um, why don't we just get into uh, you know volumes, uh, national outbound tender rejections, spot rates. What, what are you seeing there on this, on this index? Uh, especially on the OTRI, OTRI and uh, spot rates, pretty flat. Yeah. Pretty stagnant. Yeah. Uh, not much action uh, whatsoever. You have little moves here and there. Uh, on volumes, they're, I think, less than 2% right now. So those are bouncing yeah. up. Uh, but it did cross over the, the 2018 comps yeah. on the July comparisons 24th. Comparisons have gotten a lot easier oh, yeah. because those volumes fell off pretty hard yep. in, the, so, in the back half, yep. specifically Q4 of yep. last year. Yep. Uh, and, and July 24th was the, the, the day that 2019 volumes surpassed 2018. They Correct. haven't gone negative. Yeah, they're, they're teetering. Then. They're getting they're, close. They, they are teetering. It's been a couple times they teetered yeah. and then they, they moved up. So hopefully volumes uh, stay up because on OTRI, which are the, the outbound rejection tenders, yep. Yep. Uh, which gives you a really good picture about capacity, yep. that there's no good stories with that on the carrier side. Yeah, it's still sitting at about 5.5%. I mean, it is off the low, which is about 3.75%. But to put that in context, I mean, we write this every week in our weekly market update um, that we do on Fridays. 
I mean, national tender rejections literally never fell below double digits for all of 2018, and they averaged somewhere like 15 or 20 percent. So, I mean, they're down like 75 percent year over year. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're at, they're at 70 percent right now year over year. Yeah. Uh, and until about the second week of January of 2020, yeah. uh, that's when they were cut in half again. I think from 14 percent to 7 percent. Yeah. Um, in 2019. Yep. And ever since, so so once you get to that, those point, comparisons get really easy. Really easy they yeah. fell off a cliff going yes. into January and February of 2019, and they finally crossed into the single digit range. I think things may start to look a little bit better there. Um, but um, on the volume side, so they were running. A, um, this is my first peak season in trucking, right? But they were running up about seven percent. That's where they peaked out. They've been positive for the last two or three months, but running up one percent into retail season, do you have, does that worry you at all? It does. It does. I mean, it's just a, a flat uh, retail season over twenty nine or twenty eighteen, right? Um, which was a good year. On which the was a good side. year. So, so, so basically, one of the positives maybe is all the pull forward we saw in the fourth quarter of twenty eighteen might have stabilized volumes uh, during that 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 portion of Q four of last year. Mm-hmm. So, those are maybe very m- more difficult than normally they would be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know the answer to that. Um, something, something. I'm to just watch. trying Hopefully, to. I'm I, just. I'm reaching for positive news right now. Is what I'm really doing. I know. Yeah, I come in every day and I check the OTVIY.USA for the Sonar subscribers. That is the year-over-year growth and and out, uh, outbound tender volume. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. Um, all right, let's do our last segment. This is this is our long or uh, or short segment. We kind of got into this with JP earlier. My first one for you, Kevin, is. Spot rates turning positive year over year by mid 2020. Long or short? Oh, I'm long that. You're long. I'm long that just because spot rates. Uh, if you look at the national average, you know, a dollar forty, a dollar forty five. I mean, it's hard for any sustained level. Yep. To 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 be under that. Yep. So I, I I don't see any any other direction it could go. Yeah, maybe sideways. So you right? think that's and Warren Buffett always says, "I don't like to jump over high bars. I look for low bars I can step over." You think that's a low bar? I think it's a low bar. Yeah, I'd hate to see a lower bar. Yep. Okay. Now, second one here. Um, you've worked in the transportation industry for a lot. We do a lot of debating around here. What's interesting is freight waves is kind of a mixture of this. This is why I thought this would be an interesting question. Let's say you're starting your own transportation or logistics company today. Whatever. Whatever you want, you want it to do, you pick, right? But you can only have one. Are you long or short? Uh, you know, technology or tribal knowledge. I am long. Superior technology or superior, like really great, amazing tribal knowledge. Which one are you taking? So I could have only have one or the other. You're gonna have bad technology and the most amazing tribal knowledge you've ever seen, or the inverse of that. Which one are you taking? Uh, I, I'm I'm going to take the tribal knowledge. Not that I devalue technology whatsoever, but tribal knowledge. What I've learned from uh, bouts of entrepreneurship is the the always the hardest thing to do is build the customer base. Mm-hmm. That that's the most that that's the most difficult thing. So whether I I don't know if technology will help you do that, but I know that if you have the tribal knowledge, you can always insert the technology. After the fact, yep, you can hire some engineers you, who will build it for you. Is exactly right. You now can't re- you can't the, replace decades of experience. And, yeah, and you, know-how. and you can build awesome technology, but without the tribal knowledge to go out and build a marketplace or to get customers. Yep. 
uh, you've just spent a lot of money. Yep. Okay. Well, cool. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the very first episode of Transportation Nation. Um, you guys can find us on uh, any of the major podcast networks, Apple, Spotify, FreightWaves.com slash podcast, or you can tune in to our FreightCast, which I think is all seven in one. Thank you very much. See you guys next week.